0: Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: Now, even if you knew nothing of the Greek language, and the argument of unnecessary repetition about the concept of grace being the gift of God just didn't convince you that faith is the gift that Paul is talking about, you would still have to conclude that our faith in Christ comes from God. It is His gift to us. It's nothing that we produce.
1: Our main text today on Verse by Verse is one of the most memorized passages in Scripture. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Welcome. Today we come to the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's series of lessons from Ephesians chapter 2 about the power of God in salvation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Is salvation a gift? While most unsaved people believe they have to do something to earn a spot in heaven, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we cannot even come close to being able to pay the price for that ticket. Salvation is only by grace, as we see here in Ephesians 2 and in many other places in the Bible. Grace is simply God's unmerited favor in which He not only does not give us the punishment we deserve, He goes on to give us a gift we clearly cannot earn. But what about faith? we are saved by grace through faith. Where does that faith originate? There is considerable debate about that among godly evangelical Bible scholars. But as we'll hear today, there are some pretty good indications in God's Word that even faith comes from God. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson for today.
2: But notice as Paul continues describing how we were saved, he says this, for by grace you have been saved, and here's, very significant words, through faith. Yes, it's God's grace that has saved you, but he saved you through the means or the instruments of faith. Now, as I said earlier, some have looked at this and concluded that what Paul is actually teaching here is that grace is God's part in our salvation. They wouldn't argue that. And faith, they say, is our part in salvation. Now, it's true that we are responsible to have faith, and we are responsible to believe the gospel. And that faith in Christ is something that is our activity. It's really not God's activity. Since God doesn't do the believing for us, we believe. We believe. In fact, if you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul alluded to this. When he said in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, then he says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But when you heard the gospel, you believed. However, having said that, it is absolutely wrong to conclude by Paul's statement about faith that he's teaching, that it is your belief in Christ, your faith that saves you. That is an important distinction. You have been saved by grace. You have not been saved by your faith. Now, let me explain. We know that Paul couldn't possibly be teaching that it is our faith, the activity, the work of our faith that saves us because he adds at the end of of verse 8 and into verse 9 as if to make sure that no one dares to think that he's teaching that it's our faith that saves us and that, notice this, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, if it's your faith that saves you, then you have turned your faith into a work. Something that originates within you, therefore it becomes an action of yours that saves you. That's completely contrary and opposite to what Paul is saying he is teaching the Ephesians that they deserve no credit for their salvation. It is totally by God's grace, apart from any work that they've done, and that would include the work of faith. You see, when Paul says in verse 8, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, he's actually saying that faith is God's gift to you. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and say, in all fairness, I have to tell you that there is a debate amongst conservative Bible-believing scholars as to whether Paul is saying that grace is God's gift to us or faith is God's gift to us. And there are good men on both sides and, and Greek scholars on both sides. And in fact, they all appeal to the Greek language, which you know what that tells us? It tells us that this issue cannot be solved by appealing to the Greek language. That's what it tells us. When you have Greek scholars, Bible-believing Greek scholars, who appeal to the language and they don't agree, it tells us that it can't be resolved just by language alone. However, what helps us to see that Paul meant that faith here is God's gift is that it would be redundant, completely unnecessary for him to say that grace is the gift of God because he's just said that. That's exactly what grace is. It's God's gift. There's no need for him to say it again. It's something that proceeds from God, not from us. There would, as I said, there would be no need for Paul to say this again. So then what exactly is Paul saying? Well, maybe it'll help you if I just give you from a great theologian how he paraphrased Ephesians 2 verse 8. He said this, for it is indeed by grace that you are saved through faith and even this faith is not of yourselves but it is God's gift let me say that again for it is indeed by grace that you are saved through faith and even this faith is not of yourselves but it is God's gift now even if you knew nothing of the Greek language and the argument of unnecessary repetition about the concept of grace being the gift of God just didn't convince you that faith is the gift that Paul is talking about, you would still have to conclude that our faith in Christ comes from God. It is his gift to us. It's nothing that we produce. The reason you should come to this conclusion, whether or not you agree with what I've just told you, is because the Bible makes it very clear that God is the one who has given us faith to believe in Christ. Where does he say that? 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter writes as he opens this letter, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. You get that? To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, I received faith to believe. You received faith to believe. Didn't come from you. You received it. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, for to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Faith is a gift. Suffering is God's gift too. Listen, it just defies logic to think that you could have faith to believe in jesus on your own it defies logic you were dead in your sins and trespasses dead people don't have faith absolutely dead dead people don't have faith you had to be regenerated before you could believe because with that new nature that god gives us comes the faith to believe. Secondly, if faith did originate with you, then you could legitimately boast about it. You had faith and somebody else didn't. And Paul said that there will be no boasting on our part concerning anything connected to salvation. I like the way John Stott put it. He said, we shall not be able to strut round heaven like peacocks. Heaven will be filled with the exploits of Christ and the praises of God. There will indeed be display in heaven, not self-display, however, but rather a display of the incomparable wealth of God's grace, mercy, and kindness through Jesus Christ. See, this is why we need to be very careful in describing faith as a decision we make. Now, as I've told you before, there is a sense, and I understand this, there is a sense in which we do make a decision when we come to to Christ for salvation. But that decision, folks, is only made by us because God has first given us spiritual life and therefore he has given us the faith to believe in Christ. We make a decision because he has decided already for us and he's given us the faith to make a decision. Now, before we move away from this concept of faith as a gift, I want to take just a few minutes to explain... What is it the true saving faith looks like? What does it look like? In other words, when God gives us the faith to believe, what does that faith consist of? And the reason this is so important is because there are some people who think that they believe in Christ. But when you examine their faith, they don't believe in Christ, not, not in a saving way. It's not genuine saving faith. So let me give you the three elements that are always present in saving faith. Always present. Number one, saving faith always has knowledge. There's content. There's something to believe. That is to say, you have to know something in order to believe it. Can't you say, I believe in, because I believe. You believe in what? I believe it. Well, you have to have some knowledge. So what is the knowledge that we believe in order to be saved? It's the gospel message. Essentially, the message is is this, that that we're sinners and that God is holy and must punish sin. Christ is God and became a man in order to, to pay the penalty for our sin in his death. And he rose again to prove that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for us. That's the essential content of the gospel. That's what we believe in order to be saved. You don't have to be an expert in theology, but you do need to understand and know that you're a sinner. Christ died for sinners. And that sin condemns us before a holy God. That's essentially what we need to know. So faith has, has knowledge. If you have true saving faith, you have knowledge. However, we have to be careful because it's not simply knowledge that I just mentally agree with and leave it at that. Some people know all about Christ. They know all sorts of things about the Bible. They've been Listen, there are many who've gone to Christian school who who know the Bible far better than those of us who have been saved and some of them are not saved. I told you in the past our Jewish Israeli tour guide is an expert in the New Testament, but he's not saved. He's not saved. So knowledge alone is not salvation. It's not the faith that saves, though you have to have knowledge to be saved. Secondly, true saving faith, as I said, is more than just knowing the gospel message. There's always a response to it. There's always a response to it. And that response is trust. Trust. And true trust in Christ involves repentance. Repentance is not another issue. It's just the flip side of the coin. Trust. And repentance. When I believe the gospel, I'm convicted of my sin. I turn from it. I don't want to continue in it. And in turning from my sin, I turn to Jesus Christ and I trust him as my only hope of being right with God, of being forgiven of my sins. This is the trust of resting in Christ's finished work on the cross, relying on him for salvation, accepting what he's done for you, casting yourself upon the mercy of God to save you. That's the second element of true saving faith. You have knowledge, you have trust. Involved with trust is repentance, which is a change of mind involving a turning away, a change of turning from sin to Christ. Third, true saving faith always has a commitment to Jesus Christ. There's a commitment there, and we need to explain this. Doesn't mean that everything in our lives Everything at the moment of salvation is surrendered to his lordship. Doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that even at the moment of salvation, there is a basic submission of your heart and your life to the authority of Christ ruling over you. That you don't want to continue running your own life. You've come to Christ with a recognition that he's savior and lord See, in turning away from my sin, I'm turning away from the sin of running my life. That's really what the heart of sin is, running our own lives, being in charge. That's the heart. That's the essence of sin. But now when you come to Christ, you bow to his authority over you. As I said, it doesn't mean that everything that you have is surrendered because there's progressive sanctification, but it does mean there's a willingness to surrender to him. It does mean that you have bowed to his authority. Do you recognize that he's Lord? This is why Jesus called people to follow him. He didn't just say, believe in me. He said, follow me. He also said things like his followers need to, to die to themselves. They need to take up their cross, which means death, and follow him. So it involves an attitude of a commitment to him. He's not simply a savior to get us to heaven. He's our Lord and master and king. Now, if God has given you faith and to be saved... Then it will have all three of these elements, knowledge of the gospel, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and a commitment to him. This, folks, is what saving faith looks like, because this is the faith that God gives us when he saves us. Now, going back to Ephesians 2, we've seen that Paul has clarified that our salvation has been by God's grace, and that it has nothing to do with our work, so that no one can boast about anything they have done to earn heaven, even our faith, because it's a gift. So what Paul has been stressing throughout these verses is that our salvation is totally, totally the result of God's work in our lives. It's by his power and his power alone that has brought all this about. Question is then, for what purpose? Why has he done all of this? Well, he's already told us something of his purpose in verse seven, in that he's going to put us on display for the angels to see, for us to see one another about how kind he's been, kind he's been to us. But now as he brings his argument to a close in verse 10, Paul gives us another purpose for which God has saved us. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them having just told us that our works do not contribute to our salvation now he says that god by his power has created us for good works our works don't count but he has works for us we're created for good works and what paul means by this is that god has taken these once spiritually dead vessels and he's given us life and in giving us life, he has created us to be a masterpiece, his masterpiece. He created this piece of art, this masterpiece. That's what the word workmanship means, his, his handiwork. In fact, we get from this Greek word, uh, the word poem. A poem is something that someone creates. We're his handiwork. He created us so that we would now do good works that glorify him. This is why we are called by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation in Christ. God has joined us to Jesus Christ, as we saw last week, and he's made us new creatures. And now, instead of walking according to the course of this world, walking according to our fleshly desires, we now walk in doing good works. And what are those good works? Simply obedience to the word of God. That's the works. Those are the works. Out of motives of pleasing the Lord, honoring the Lord, these are the works of being conformed to the image of God. That's what we walk in. And these good works, Paul says, were prepared beforehand by God, which means then that for sure we will do them. If God prepared them for us, we will do them. In fact, let me put it this way. All true Christians produce these good works of obedience. Some are more obedient than others. Some produce more fruit than others. But all true believers produce good works at some point, at some level. Or else they prove by their lack, total lack of obedience, that they aren't really saved. That they have not been given true faith. Because if they were given true faith, it would come out in their good works. This is the argument, by the way, of James in James chapter 2, that if you have true faith, he says, I'll show you. By my works, he says, that I have true faith. Now, folks, the point that Paul is making in all of this is that God's purpose in saving you was to make you his masterpiece, his great piece of art, his poetry, his handiwork, in order to glorify himself by you producing Good works. Those good works go back to Him. He's the one who who did all of this. And in doing this, He glorifies Himself. How? By showing us His power to take spiritually dead people who once walked according to the course of this world, according to, to Satan, according to the flesh. He's made us alive so that we now walk not like we used to, but we walk in good works. This is God's power. This is God's grace. This is God's mercy. This is why we glorify him. No wonder Paul started the book by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's done it all. He chose us. He brought us to himself. He's given us faith. He's done it. We take no credit for it. Now, if your life isn't producing any works of obedience to the Lord, I mean, none, none, then it's because you have never truly believed in Jesus Christ. So don't be deceived. I urge you to turn from your sin. If that's your case, turn from your sin of running your life. Turn to Christ. Trust him to be your savior. Do not let another day go by whereby you think you're a Christian, but there's absolutely no fruit in your life. You're not then. Because if you were, faith would be demonstrated by your works. Let's bow for prayer. Father, what can we say but thank you? What can we say but we praise you? Because we are so wretched in ourselves that only you could bring this change about. It's not psychological. It can't be explained by any type of uh, explanation, but only by your grace. As Paul said, we are what we are by the grace of God. There is no other way of explaining how people who were once dead hostile to you, haters of not only you, but others have been so transformed as to have faith, as to love you, as to want to obey you, as to understand that we take no credit for our salvation. Lord, I pray that you'll drive these truths home to us, that we would not think of salvation as... Us making a decision for you, but that you, in eternity past, decided for us and you brought it about. And yet, Lord, having said that, we don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to not take responsibility to evangelize others. We do that. We want to do that. We want to obey you. You've told us to do that. And we also, Lord, know that we have to apply our faith. You've given us faith, as Jesus said to the disciples, "Where is your faith?" You've given us faith. Help us to apply it, but Lord, help us to walk in obedience to you, to glorify you, to recognize that everything is attributed to you for our salvation, and that grace goes back totally to you, and that even even faith has been given to us by you. We thank you for that. We pray for anyone here without Christ, Lord. Help them to see their need for the Savior. And may you draw them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. As John Newton said in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater and looking for a place to worship, consider yourself invited. The address at Lakeside is 1893 Sunset Point Road. There's a wealth of information about Lakeside available at www.lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is just one of the ministries at Lakeside. If you'd like to know more about Verse by Verse, we do have our own website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download today's or any previous program at our website. Today's program is the conclusion of a two-part message, If you'd like the whole message, without interruption, we'd be happy to send you a free CD. Call 727-239-0306 and ask for Program 1089, The Power of God and Salvation, Part 6. The phone number again is 727-239-0306. Or as I mentioned, you can also go to the Message Archive page at our website to stream or download any of the hundreds of programs we store there. Listen to as many as you like at no charge. In fact, if you have a friend who can't listen when we're on the air, maybe they could make a use of this resource as well. One other thing about our website before I wrap up here. We have a page that makes it easy if you feel the Lord leading you to help support this ministry financially. We deeply appreciate the generous listeners whose gifts make it possible for us to continue producing these radio Bible classes and paying for the airtime to bring them to you. If you're interested, click on the giving tab at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you've been as blessed as I have been listening to these last several broadcasts. Today's program concludes this series of lessons about the power of God in salvation. On behalf of Pastor Steve Kreloff and everyone else at Verse by Verse, I hope you'll join us next time as we begin a new topic.
0: Not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. So may I ask you today: Have you decided to trust Jesus as your Savior? These were hours of decision, and this is an hour of decision for you today. Faith Talk
2: 570
1: and 910 WTB